right, if you have your Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 3. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Genesis chapter 3. Father, we do come before you tonight, and we thank you that you have made way through Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would continue to allow us to get a glimpse of how heinous and how repulsive sin really is. Father, it's only through seeing sin through your eyes, not through our own, not through our culture, not through our worldview, but only through seeing sin through your eyes, where our hearts are broken, where we mourn over our sin, and where we see our great need for a savior, for a rescuer, for a chain breaker. So Father, we ask that you would allow all the stuff from this week that you've allowed to happen in our lives, Lord, that you would allow that to take the back burner, and you would allow the Spirit of God to speak through the Word of God to the hearts of men and women that are in this room. Father, we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. And so, Father, we ask that tonight that you would draw men to the starting line of faith as a result of your Word being meditated on, being covered over, being Father, we thank you for Jesus. I ask that you would crucify anything myself that is not of you, personality, my emotions, everything, Lord, and that you would reign in me as I attempt to be your humble servant. It's in the name of my chain breaker, my deliverer, my, my Savior who has taken me out of the miry clay and placed my feet upon the rock that I pray. His name is Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 3. Last week, um, we began a series, and we kind of started in a weird place. Uh, we started with crazy. We started with God. We determined that God was sovereign. God was holy. God was the master designer. God was the one who is eternal, unchanging from the beginning. Um, and, and that's where we started. We didn't start with the gospel. Um, in Matthew, and, and look at Jesus in his white robe and with blue eyes and Caucasian skin. Um, like a lot of us have envisioned Jesus because of our upbringing as Republicans um, in America. But what we are, what we, where we started was God's eternal plan in creation, and we started at the beginning. We actually started before the beginning, uh, where God was there. God was self-existent, God didn't need anybody, God didn't need anything, and God spoke into the darkness and created the light, and he created all these other things, one of which was man, and it was pretty crazy, and it was pretty good, because God is good, and God is the giver of good gifts. So God started this whole thing in motion, and then what we also looked at last week was that Isaiah 43, 7 says that God created man, do you remember, why did God create man, why are we here? For his pleasure, Isaiah 43, 7, for his glory, Revelation 4, for his pleasure. That God gets glory. The original intent was bring glory, brag on, boast on, allow someone to have a correct representation of who God was. They're supposed to get that through seeing man and woman. Um, but then enter the, the deceiver, the murderer from the beginning, father of lies who tells a lie because he his nature is liar from the beginning he enters the scene 
man and woman are butt naked, and uh, God has told Eve what? What, is, what has God told Adam and Eve? Yeah, don't eat of the tree. Well, before that, he says, of any tree you can have, you can have all this around here. You can have all that stuff. You can have eat of any of this, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat. If you eat of it, the day that you surely eat of it, you will what? You will what? Die, okay? So then all of this stuff happens. I don't know how long it, it happened, but who does the serpent come to? Eve, the woman, and uh, what's he say to her? Did God really say? Okay, so he plants this deception. Did God really say? And what does she say? Never. Does she agree with him? Does she answer him? Does she testify what God has said? It's just a chapter or two before chapter three, in case you need the clip notes. Yeah, he says, uh, or she says, yeah, God, God really said that. But this serpent comes back and weaves some deception into the picture and says, well, God just doesn't really want you to what? To be like him. In reference to being like him, what's he talking about? Knowing good and evil. Okay? So what happens with our, our friend Eve? What she do? Somebody shout it out. She eats the fruit, but there's this progression of sin there, right? Remember the progression? She has this kind of this situation, this conversation with the enemy, uh, the murderer, the liar, the serpent of old. Uh, she has this conversation with him, and then she turns her eyes back to whatever the fruit was, and she sees that the fruit was what? It was desirable. It looked good to make one wise. It looked good. It was pleasurable to the sight. And so she keeps looking. She keeps looking. She takes it. What she do? She not only eats it, but what? She gives it to who? To Adam, who is standing with her. Emphasis on the with her. We talked about last week how she and he both were in sin. So this perfect picture of what God has done. Um, I'm a little scared because people are kind of anal about what goes on in this room. This perfect picture of what God has created, what happens with it? Black goo. Anybody seen Spider-Man 3? That's what I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> Alright? Sin enters the picture. And does it just affect Adam and Eve? No. What happens? Well, we jumped over to Romans. And what do we see in Romans chapter 3? Remember? I like the view, if you haven't told. All of creation is affected. All has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. No, I. Have, no one has sought after God. All of those things that it says in Romans 3. Now, sin is a part of the DNA. And what we talked about last week was, what does sin do what does sin look like? Is sin just knowing what to do and not doing it? Well, that's a part of it. First John says that sin is lawlessness, where the law is enacted and we just say whatever. But we, we took it even a step further and said, you know what? Sin is going out from under the authority of who God is. And we say, you know what? 
God, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you what you've said. I get it. I understand. But you know what? I'm going to take myself from under the authority. I'm going to remove myself from submitting to you, and I'm going to come out over here. Does anybody remember how we defined sin last week? Say it again, Beth. Independence from God. Remember when we did the little, hey, how many of you have sinned today? Um, and we raised our hands, and some of us were like, what? We sin? And then we asked a follow-up question, and we said, hey, do you realize that when we sin, we're saying, hey, God, you're good and everything, but I'm really God. I'm really in control. I'm really the one who is master of my universe. Remember when we said that? And then we asked the follow-up question, how many of you said you're God today? That you're better than God. And we really reluctantly, like everyone had that gasp moment where it was like, did I really say that? Did that really enter into my brain? Independence from God, doing things my way, how I want to do them, where I want to go. I'll take and pick and choose this about God, um, but I'm going to, I'm really the master of my domain. And I don't know about you, but uh, this week I've had a, a a deep sense of um, sin. I, I've had a deep sense of the sin around me. We prayed that prayer, break my heart for what breaks yours. I, I've had that brokenness in my own life this week and in the lives of other people around me who are willingly choosing to say, I'm God. I don't need you. I don't need redemption. I don't need forgiveness. I don't need it. Um, it, it we're, we're kind of oblivious to it sometimes. Well, the story continues, as you know. Last week, we, we ended with, yeah, man is in desperate need of a Savior. And we said, you know, in order for the gospel really to be good news, we got to let it be the bad news first. And we didn't have, like, any relief last week. And we'll have a little bit this week, but not a whole lot. Because I, I still think that we need to get how deep Seated and how huge of a deal our sin really is, so that we can truly appreciate uh, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So you're in Genesis chapter three. Uh, let's go to verse fourteen if you have your Bible. Genesis three fourteen. And now, if we were studying this, you know that I like to tell you what to mark and tell you what to focus on because. I'm an inductive thinker. I don't want you just to believe something because I say it. I don't, Pastor John doesn't want you to believe something just because he said it. You need to take the truth and you need to devour it for yourself. You need to understand what God's word says for yourself, not just because I said it or Pastor John or John Piper or Mark Driscoll or whoever says it. You need to digest it and know it for yourself, okay? So that's why I'm pointing out to you, we really need to pay attention to what we learned about God here. This is right after the fall. This is right after Adam and Eve have been exposed. They've hidden from God. They said, okay, you know what? I'm going to be God. I'm going to take it. I'm going to eat it. Even though God said the consequences are going to be real, whatever. The consequences won't really affect me. Well, it did affect them. They took it. They ate it. And they tried to cover it. The covering didn't really work that well. They were still naked and ashamed. They still had guilt. They still had shame. And they hid from God. God comes walking in the garden. Hey, where are you? Um, we're here. Who are you hiding? Well, we're naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Well, 
this person did this, this person did that, and we begin this thing that we do throughout the centuries. You may have even done it today, where we blame someone else for our sin instead of taking ownership of our sin. Well, the story continues. Look at what it says in Genesis 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, I would pay attention to God and the serpent. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this. What's he done? Deceived. Because this has just happened, what? What about it? Cursed are you, serpent, more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Okay. Verse 15. And I, God, will put enmity between you and who? I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, her seed, shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Okay, so in this short two verses, what do we learn about the serpent? What's God say to the serpent? What? He is low, he'll be cursed, cursed worse than all the cattle, he'll be slewed around on his stomach. Anything else that we missed? No? Okay. Yeah, verse 15, what's that word again? Enmity. There'll be enmity between who? Okay, you got the woman. Has just taken the fruit, and her husband gave it to her husband. God's going to put enmity between the woman and the serpent. Is that just where it ends, though? Okay, and what else? I'm going to put enmity between your seed, serpent, and the woman's singular seed. The woman's seed. We also see right there that the seed is a key. Sorry, Genesis 15 is an amazing verse that I wish that we could have hours to unpack, but you don't wish that, so we won't go there. Anybody remember seeing the movie uh, The Passion? Very graphic, very vivid picture of the atonement, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Uh, do you remember the scene where, uh, where this is acted out? Where Jesus dies on the cross, and then you see this snake slithering up? Remember that? Yes, no. Huh? It was in the garden. Okay, looks theologically wrong on that one, but whatever. Still, the snake slides up, and what happens to the snake? We just read it in Genesis 3.15. What happens? It gets crushed. Now, we're not snakes, but uh, anybody seen a snake recently in your yard? What happens if, like, you have a snake and uh, you just freak out. My mom always taught me uh, to take the snake and, you know, you don't mess with the snake's tail, but what do you do? How do you kill a snake? You stomp on its head. Awesome visual there. You stomp on the snake's head. How many of you have been to Africa already? Nice. Do you know about the crazy huge black snake in Africa? You know what it's called? The black mamba. 
awesome. Let me tell you a really quick story about the Black Mamba, okay? Uh, the Black Mamba, I was in Africa uh, three years ago. We were in Zambia, and we were um, helping pastors, and we were also coming alongside some of the missionaries that were there trying to establish and plant churches, and we were going out into the cities, cities, that's a funny word, we were going out into the villages, which basically were a bunch of mud huts, and we were telling stories of, about Jesus. We were talking about, I specifically was talking about Exodus, the Passover, if you know about the Passover, all these plagues happening, and then the last one where you're supposed to take blood, put it on the door, we were talking about snakes and all that kind of stuff because of the plagues. Well, as I was sitting among about, probably about 70 people, kids, uh, all, all kinds of people, I hear this crazy scream. And the scream then becomes more, multiplies, multiplies, multiplies. As I was teaching about the plague of the snakes, guess what happened? A black mamba, no joke, comes into the village and starts going through the people's stuff. And uh, the old men in the city tell the little girls, not the men going to get the snake, but tell the little girls, go take care of it. And the little 12, 13-year-old girls go and take care of the black mamba. Go home and Google black mamba. I'm pretty short. They're pretty tall. They stand up. Like, they do this thing where they can stand up being, like, super tall on shoulders. Not shoulders. They're not on people's shoulders. They're really tall. I don't know what I'm trying to say. The visual picture here is that God promises, though sin has just done this to creation, God promises that at some time, the promised one, the anointed one, will come and do what? Crush. The anointed one will crush the head of the serpent. What will happen to the anointed one? Look at Genesis 3.15. Don't take my word for it. His heel, he will have a wound, or his heel will be crushed. Which is a bigger deal? Ouch, that hurt my heel versus my head has been crushed in. Which is a bigger deal? Yeah, thank you. That's pretty evident, right? Okay, what follows is the very first promise recorded of one, the woman's seed, who will come as chain breaker, as savior. He will be a descendant of the woman and will bruise or crush, according to the Hebrew term, the serpent's head, a death blow. The serpent will only bruise, crush, and heal. We're going to see that the promised one was sent by God in order to bring about this deliverance. God could have wiped him out. God could have said, whatever, I'm done. You screwed it up. I'm out of here. But instead, even in dealing with sin, even in dealing with the curse, he gives this glimmer of redemption and this glimmer of hope. Keep going, Genesis 3, 16 to 19. Oh, we already talked about that. Genesis 3, 16 to 19. Uh, on your own, read verse 16. Hey, Sarah George, will you come up here a second? John David, will you come up here a second? Joel, will you come up here a second? 
Okay, verse 16, what's it about? What? Okay, childbearing. Who is it about? Okay, good. The woman. This is going to be really awkward. How many of you have seen that Discovery Channel show? Sarah. You're in your scrubs too, that's appropriate. To the woman he said what? What did he say? I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Okay? In pain, you will bring forth children. Why don't you go ahead and just sit down? Okay? Um, yeah, that's a little bit pain. Right there? Okay, so the serpent comes up. God's dealing with the serpent. He's dealing with the man. Okay, and you're going to be the serpent. Okay? So why don't you, that's fitting too. Why don't you get on the ground? Okay? Bow. Oh, please. Don't take all this stuff out. Just get on the ground. Yeah, by 9 o'clock. Okay. This is awesome. Okay, so the serpent comes up. You can't see the serpent. The serpent's here, and God, don't worry, you're not God. God says, and you're not going to do the whole you're all or naked part. You're not going to go there. Okay? The serpent's here, and he's on the ground, and he's slithering around, and God says, okay, first of all, jump back to the last verse. I'm going to put enmity. I'm going to put hatred. I'm going to put ill will at all times between serpent and woman. Enmity, boo, magical, there it is. I'm going to put enmity there, ill will, hatred, and not only that, I'm going to put ill will, enmity, hatred, strife between the serpent's seed and the woman's seed. Then he gets into the promise, he will, death blow, crush your head, sorry, he'll death blow, crush your head, the seed will, and serpent, what's the serpent going to do? Ouch, you're going to take a bite out of my ankle, okay? So God has just said that, and then he turns the direction to the woman, verse 16. What's he say to the woman? Back to what he just said. Not only are you going to, do they have children yet? No. Does she know what the pain of childbirth pre-fall looks like? No. Okay? But he says, you are going to have lots of pain. This is before epidurals. This is before Lamaze breathing, all that kind of stuff. Ouch. He said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband. And he will what, ladies? He will rule over you. Was that a new thing within the created order? Who did God create first? Who was the head? Say it, please. Even in our feminist worldview society, okay? Then he turns the, the attention to our boy here, Adam, who is clothed in fig leaf. Then to Adam he said, because, Adam, you're a schmuck and have listened to the voice of your wife, that's my version, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, a serpent, shut it, okay? And have eaten from the tree about which I have commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. Cursed is the what? The ground. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, what's going to happen? You'll eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles will grow for you, man, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Why do you say that? Well, because from the ground you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God gives Adam and Eve both this reality check. You were made from dust. He gives them this reality check and even exposing their sin. Hey, by the way, just in case you forgot, I told you not to eat of the tree, but what did you do? You ate of it. So now as a result of eating from the tree, what's going to happen to Eve? Pain and childbirth. Ouch. Pain is repeated. What's going to happen to Adam? Hard work. Was he already working? Yes, but now it's increased. Now he's going to sweat. Now it's going to be even more difficult. Instead of saying, from any tree in the garden you can eat, now there's going to be what in the ground? Thorns, thistles, the ground's going to be cursed. That sounds too great. And by the way, you're dust. Why did all of this happen? Because they ate from the tree. Let's unpack that even more. Why? Because they said, I'm God, and you're not. Because they said, I'm going to be walked independently from what you want. Because they listened to this guy, the enemy, the serpent, the deceiver, instead of trusting what God was saying. Instead of trusting the consequences. But there's that glimmer of hope. What's the glimmer of hope? What? Verse 15, what's the hope? Don't say it. What's going to happen to the serpent? His head is going to be crushed. Let's give a uh, round of applause to our ugly serpent, our beautiful Eve. And, okay, yeah. <laughs> Joel will be accepting phone numbers in case you want to date. Genesis 3, <laughs> verse 20. Go to verse 20. If we were studying this, I would say, hey, pay attention to the Lord, pay attention to the wife, Eve, and to the man. Verse 20. Now the man, Adam, called his wife's name Eve. She hasn't been named yet. She's just been called woman up until this point. Why does he call her Eve? Because she's the mother of all living. What was the promise in Genesis 3.15? See, from her, the one who will restore what once was, from her, the seed, the mother of all living. That's interesting. Verse 21, the Lord God made what for them? Yeah, that's interesting. Verse 21, well, up until this point, what's happened? What, what, are they, what do they have? Fig leaves, some sort of, sort of man-made covering that isn't going to last. 
that might last for a little bit, but it's going to just waste away. So God does what for them? Makes garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and what's he do? Clothes them. He takes off their little coverings, their little shame-filled, I'm going to sew this together, takes that off, makes a way for them, makes coverings for them, and clothes them. And look what else he does. Verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Who's he talking to? Maybe. God is having a conversation with God and God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from what? The tree of life and what? And eat and live forever. We'll come back to that in a second. Therefore, as a result of this, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he, God, drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Interesting. Okay, go back to verse 22. Behold, the man has become like one of us. How has he become like one of us? Knowing good and evil. What did that serpent say to Eve when he was deceiving her? Oh, God just doesn't want you to eat of that because the day that you eat of that, what will happen? You'll know you'll be like God. God doesn't want you to be like him. The day you eat of it, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. Did that, did that happen when they ate? Did they know good from evil? Yeah, they knew they had just practiced evil. They knew they were naked. They were ashamed. They knew what had just taken place. Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And what was God concerned about? In verse 22. Was God just a jerk to get him out of the garden? There were two trees. There were more than two, but two special trees within the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what other tree? The tree of life. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, they partook of it, they ate of it, they knew good from evil. What would happen if they would have eaten of the tree of life? Possibly, they would have lived forever. So God kicks them out of the garden. Why? If they live forever, there's no salvation. There's no chance. There's no covering. There's no atonement. So God, even in dealing out his judgment for sin, holy God, righteous God, is gracious and loving God. What do you see that God does here that is gracious and loving. Makes them clothes, covers their nakedness, covers their shame. What else does he do? Kicks them out. At first glance, wow, that's kind of a jerky thing to do. At second glance, what a good God. What a gracious God. That he keeps them 
from being even more self-destructive. We have just seen the first blood shed on planet Earth. Think of the bloodshed that occurs up to this point. We've just witnessed through the authority of the supreme word of God the first bloodshed on earth. Who did the shedding of the blood? God. God shed the animal's blood for what purpose? To clothe naked sinful, shame-filled, hiding from God people. Leviticus 17.11 says this, The life of the flesh is in the blood, and it is the blood by reason of life that makes atonement. That blood makes atonement for sin. That word atonement is a really interesting word in Hebrew. Uh, you might know about it. Atonement means covering. It means expiation. That's a big word. To make a covering. God kills innocent animal in order to make a covering for sin. In order to make covering for sin. So it goes something like this. Here God's making an acceptable covering, not one that man has made in order to cover their own sin, but God has made it God has ordained it concerning Adam and for his wife temporarily dealing with their sin. Temporarily covering their nakedness. This is pretty cool. Until, Genesis 3.15, the chosen, the promised one comes who is going to crush for once and for all the Satan, the serpent's skull and deal with it it is finished. This is awesome. The gospel is in the first couple of chapters of the word of God. So God here begins to weave this tapestry of redemption. This tapestry of God takes, God buys back. God takes what man has done, sovereign good God takes what man has done, and redeems it, buys it back. This is really, really monumental. You may have heard this before. This may be new to you, but I hope that you're seeing the similarities in what God has done for Adam and Eve here, taking their shame, taking their covering, taking their hiding, exposing it, and then making atonement for their sin. Okay? Let's keep going. Genesis is a really interesting book. If you haven't gotten to study it, it's all connected. God begins to weave this tapestry. Adam and Eve, after the fall, they begin to have kids, uh, and their kids are a little bit messed up. You may have heard of some of them, Cain and Abel. We have murder. We have a sacrifice that was accepted because it was offered in faith, and one that was offered just because to please man and to please self. God accepts the sacrifice by faith. And uh, then this whole murder thing happens. Cain and Abel. You turn the pages a couple of, um, a little bit to chapter 6, and the whole earth is polluted by sin. Adam and Eve's descendants multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply, and sin, the DNA of sin is rampant. It gets worse and worse. 
just like cancer. So God finds Noah, righteous Noah, and tells him to build a boat. The remnant of God lives in a boat. God destroys everyone else. The redemption seen in the story of Noah, um, as God saves, God saves, and Noah is obedient. Then the story continues. It's weaved a little bit more. God, it starts over with Noah's family. They multiply, multiply, multiply. You get to uh, chapter 11 of 10 and 11 of Genesis. And again, sin comes back into the picture. And men want to be like God. And they want to reach God. And they want to make a name for themselves. Pride, 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 pride. So God, again, comes down. He confuses the language. And he separates people. It goes a little like this. I learned Bible aerobics back in the day. God speaks creation, creation. Then the fall happens. Fall, exactly. Falling. Then chapter 6, the flood happens. Blah, 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 blah. Everybody's dead. Then as a result of that, Noah's sons, Shem, Him, and Japheth. Out of that, God creates all of the nations. Then you get to chapter 12. Anybody know who's in chapter 12? Abraham. One of my favorite stories. The story of Abraham. God continues to weave this picture of redemption in the story of Abraham. Go to chapter 12, verse 1. Remember, the whole thing is the promised one, the Messiah, the chosen one. That's the story of redemption that God is weaving throughout Genesis and the rest of the word of God. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, his name's not even Abraham yet, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Start walking. You don't know where you're going yet. Go to the land which I will show you. And I, God, will make you a what? Great nation. And I, God, will do what? Bless you. Great nation, bless you. And make your name great. And you shall be a what? Lots of blessing going on right here. Verse 3. And I... God will bless those who, what? I'll bless those who bless you. Okay, so great name. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, what? In, everybody read this with me, please. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We have different translations that would offer in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's verse 3. The Lord appeared, verse 7, to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. God appears to Abram and says, Hey, start walking. You start walking. I'm going to show you the land that you're going to go to. Not only am I going to show it to you, I'm going to give you the land and I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What's the problem, those of you who know a little bit about Abram? He's old. This is before all the crazy stuff we have today. He's old, and who else is old? His wife is even older. They cannot physically have kids, and what has God just told him? Hey, I'm going to make you, I'm not just going to give you a kid, I'm going to make you what? A great nation. Is it, 
possible to have a great nation when you're really old and you have no kids. No, it looks impossible, but we see in Galatians 3, verse 8, let me see if I have it up here, we get a little picture of what's just happened in Galatians 3, 8. It's looking back at what has just happened in Genesis 12. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. There's a, there's a, few, a few key words that we need to look at here. Um, justify. Galatians 3.8, that God would justify who? The Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The nations. The non-Jews. That God would justify, justify the nations. How? By faith. What did God do with our boy Abraham? What's it say? Use your observation skills. He preached the gospel. What we just read is the gospel. How is it the gospel? Well, justify. What's that word mean? That's a big, huge theological word. Simply that God would bring back into right relationship. That God would make righteous. God would declare, stamp, righteous. Who is God going to make righteous? The Gentiles. How is he going to do that? By faith. Through the gospel. Justified to be put in right standing with. Here it means to be made right with God. God is going to make right the Gentiles with God. Gentiles refers to nations. Gospel, a word that simply means good news. Faith means to believe, to have a firm conviction, to take someone at their word and trust him. So God, in Genesis 12, has just preached the gospel to Abraham. Remember what he says, I'm going to make you a great name, great nation. I'm going to give you land and descendants. That's the gospel. That's weird. Descendants. Remember Genesis 15, or Genesis 3, 15? Remember that? The serpent, I'm going to crush the serpent's head. Jump over real quickly to Genesis 15. If all the families of the earth are going to be blessed in Abraham, then he and his wife Sarah got to have some kids. Genesis 15, 1 and 2, God told Abraham not to fear because he would be a shield and Abraham's reward would be great. To Abram, a great reward would be a son at this point. He would be his heir. Because he had no son, his servant was his heir, which was the custom at the time. Look at the promise of the Lord to Abram, and we'll end here. Verse 3, look at what God says to Abram. This, again, is monumental. Verse 3, and Abram said, God has just promised, hey, I'm going to give you an heir. Since you, Lord, have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. This is several years after Genesis chapter 12. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. 
And he, God, took him outside and said, I love how God does this. Now look towards the heavens, count the stars. If you're able to count them. Now this is before, uh, before smog, before fog, before crazy lights out in the streets. God takes him out with this visual picture. Look at all the stars. Hey, by the way, we can't even count them probably. And then he says to him, so shall your descendants be. This crazy talk that God has just said. But what does it say in verse 6? What does it say? Then Abram believed the Lord. He trusted it. He believed it. And what did God do? God credited, God reckoned Abram as what? Righteous. This is one of the most repeated verses from the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's in Romans, it's in Galatians, it's all over the place. Abram believed God, and what happened? God credited to his account righteousness. same is true for us today. The picture of Abram where we just simply have to trust what God says even if it looks impossible. The sin DNA that has been implanted in all of us is rampant. It, it's active. And yet God in Genesis 3.15 has said he's going to make a way. When Abraham, God has said, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. When you go over to Galatians chapter 3, God explains what this seed is talking about. And then the seed that God promised to Adam and Eve, that God promised to Abraham, is Christ, is the Messiah. Genesis, or Galatians 3.16. Jesus is the chosen one that will crush the enemy's head. Not me crushing the enemy's head. Jesus will crush the enemy's head. And he has done so on the cross. We haven't even gotten into the cross. We haven't gotten into all of the nations, propitiation. Uh, we did talk about justified. But all of those big theological words, all we are looking at is the simple trust that Abram had. That's what God is calling us. We have to realize our sin, our great need of redemption, our great need of being bought out of slavery. And then we have to realize that God has made a way through Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah. Hope has come. Redemption is near. All that there is of us is faith. This is before the law. This is before all the religious stuff happened. God made a way. God preached the gospel to Abraham. God preached the gospel to Adam and Eve. Our, our, our role believe. Not an intellectual thing, but believe. Trust. Abraham had to start walking. Abraham had to be reminded Abraham had to trust, he had to continue to trust, and then later on in chapter 15 of Genesis, God does some amazing things in 
order to solidify what he's just promised. And we'll get to that next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it is so much bigger sometimes than we make it out to be. Lord, that this was your plan throughout the ages, before the foundations of the world. Lord, that you chose to preach the gospel even in in dealing with sin, Lord, that you, good God, preached the gospel to Adam and to Eve, that you made covering, that you took away their shameful and stupid attempts at making a covering for themselves, as we so often do. And Father, you made a way. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that is in the blood of Jesus. Lord, we haven't even gotten into all of the crazy, cool stuff that you've done for your glory and for our benefit on the cross. But Lord, we are so grateful that there is now an answer to the cancer of sin. That we can be healed, we can be restored, what was lost can now be restored through Jesus. We ask that you do that in lives around us and use us to do that in lives of people that we come into contact with every day. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. It's in the name of Jesus.